listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hello. Welcome back to Barcode. What can I get you, sir? Man, not again. Hold up, Boozebot. Is Tony off again? Who gave this guy unlimited PTO? My apologies. Due to my privileged access management controls, I am unable to disclose the GPS coordinates of Tony. Fine, I'll just call his cell. Yo, Chris, what's up? Yo, I come in for a drink and you got the booze bot up here. You around? Oh, yeah, man, I'm up in my office. Hold on, I'll be right out. What? When did you get in office? So, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Tom Brady did it again. Hey, Chris, sorry about that. I was catching up on some Z's. Yeah, no problem, man. So what's up with the bots again? Yeah, well, we got bots now to do the ML. Once they learn how to work the bar, they'll be a little more faster, a little more efficient. Most importantly, gives me time to kick back, get off my feet. But as you know, all these bots, they still act like humans. I can't keep them in line. They keep hitting on all the single bots that come in. Yeah, I hear you. Well, what happened to you, booze bot? Last time I saw you, you were slinging drinks like there was no tomorrow. Unfortunately, I was kidnapped by a large group of delinquents while parked outside. They threatened to grind me up into paper clips, unless they received a ransom in the amount of 3.75 Bitcoin. Geez, Tony, did you pay the ransom? Oh, hell no, them jabronis. Thank God I was able to restore the booze bots, though, from our backup system. Nice. Don't let the bad guys win. Never, brah. Hey, we got this new drink. I want you to try it out. We call it the Death Flip. Damn, bro, that sounds intense. Now, you know how we roll. I'll get the booze bot to make you one. You will need one ounce Blanco tequila, one half ounce yellow chartreuse, one half ounce Jaeger, one dash simple syrup, and one whole egg. Shake all ingredients with ice and strain back into the shaker. Dry shake without ice and fine strain into a chilled glass. Enjoy. That is legit. Okay, I'll be back off to talk data security with a good friend of mine. Cool. All right, man. We'll see you next round. Alexander Blanc, based in Montreal, Canada, is currently the VCSO for the Vars Corporation, cyber risk subject matter expert with over 20 years of infrastructure management and securing systems from online threats. He is a huge cybersecurity and awareness advocate He was named one of 20 outstanding contributors to global knowledge sharing for 2019 and 2020 by the European Risk Policy Institute. He is also named one of LinkedIn's top voices of 2020. Alexander, thank you for joining me today. Hello, I'm really happy to join you, Chris. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And you know, when you go through that background, it's kind of scary and impressive at the same time because I I forget about these. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I don't I don't forget about. LinkedIn, because I like to post a lot on LinkedIn, but you have me beat by miles. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to do my part uh, to enhance the security posture in the world and share awareness. 
I'm I'm tired of all these breaches and uh, and data leaks. So I think I I took it a bit personal and uh, and then I I went on a on a war against the threats and uh, I use LinkedIn as the medium to to share awareness on that. So that's why I share a lot. <laughs> Definitely, man. Well, we we all appreciate you for it. Could you talk to me a little bit about your background and how you got into cybersecurity? I mentioned that you had many uh, years of experience in infrastructure management. Was that a natural progression for you or is that something you set out to accomplish? Well, actually, it's a natural progression. Uh, I, I did finish university in the end of the 90s and I was already in the administration team of the Linux server infrastructure. And um, basically, and back then, you know, cybersecurity was not a thing, <laughs> neither mm. cloud actually. And uh, yeah, I was, I was doing just IT and IT was actually involving defending the servers. So we had to protect from hacking and, uh, and password attack. And because this is not something new, I mean, the threats have always been there, but it just grew because many more systems came online along the year. So in my career, it grew as the market grew, but I've always been doing that <laughs> kind of. Right. And then, the, yeah, I, I did. I mean, my, my previous title was, you know, the director of IT and, uh, but it was always involving security and protecting the infrastructure and the data. So, um, I mean, my, I changed my, my role, uh, more specialized towards cybersecurity because the need was there and the market grew so crazy that I actually, I could actually focus on that field, which is very, very interesting and uh and make a living out of it so so that's cool and also making a difference uh, for for better security for the whole world uh, trying to <laughs> that's my my goal you know yeah uh, i mean yeah and um yeah we're gonna go through for everything during the interview but basically by sharing about the breaches what, what i do on linkedin is basically i share about the amount of breaches that come only in the mainstream media they don't speak about anything else i, I try to avoid liability and that but uh, there is more that happen in real life than what we see in the news. So I use what we see in the news as a, as a lever to raise awareness and best practices because I'm not a fan of shaming or anything. It's just about learning lessons and about learning what went wrong and how can we try to do things better. And why I do focus on that is because my own data, as many of us, got breached and leaked by cloud hacks and leaks. I've been in many of the big, uh, you know, we know uh, the social credit uh, institution, some banking stuff, some uh, other breaches, and my own data was in it. So I got really annoyed realizing that society is not ready to support people individual against this threat. When you get your identity stolen, there is no real easy way for any people to get out of that bad spiral. Because you cannot change your social security number. You cannot change your identity. So when it's stolen, and thankfully it didn't go up to that on my side, but I know people who face that. And it, it's a nightmare because they are trapped and, uh, and they cannot buy, buy, apply for a loan or buy cars or travel anymore because they are checked every time because of the stolen ID. So um, I thought we, we must stop that. <laughs> And uh, and I raise my voice on that, and this is what I do every day, <laughs> in a way. Um, yeah, stolen identity. There's there's really no return from that, right? It's very difficult to recover if you can recover at all. 
Yeah, that's right. And and also it does happen to people that are not tech savvy at all, because most of the time they don't even know what's happening and why. I did read the statistic. We're not going to focus on that. But one of the stats that was uh, critical is that it does happen in the US to um, uh, teenagers and kids that only discover the issue when they apply for the banking account or the first credit card. And then they realize that their credit history is already affected and they didn't know about it because their ID has been stolen much earlier and abused by criminals. So it's kind of a nightmare and, and you don't know where it comes from. So so that's that's why I do what I do. <laughs> Very good. How, how do you feel about the, the new credit monitoring services? And I mean, they are more after the fact alerting, but is there a benefit to having those type of services? Well, with the current state of credit and banking, we, we cannot avoid them. But at the same time, it, it's a double-edged sword. Um, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because it can tell you whether you've been affected, fine. But they're also involved in one of the major and many of the major breaches. So mm-hmm. because they do collect all those personal data, driver license, accounting history, it's a big target for criminal networks. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know I'm not sure if it's very good or, or very bad, but, um, for sure the need is created by them as well. So, um, I think we, we should focus on fixing the issue where the issue happened, having best practices rather than having Ben head and patching as we do right now with the credit monitoring stuff, because this is enough to for patch on top of the issue, if you see what I mean. I agree. It's a risk in itself. Whenever you're divulging that information, even if it's for uh, a good purpose, you're still placing all of your your data in the hands of one entity. And if they get breached, then you know there goes everything that you were trying to protect. Correct. And, and the fact is that these entities also use third-party providers because they, they store this data somewhere, like can be cloud or third-party provider. And that's something as an individual that we do not control, neither our visibility most, most of the time. I mean, we can do whatever we, we can to protect ourselves on our end, keeping our system updated, encrypting, storing. But when we have to give away our data to providers, we can only hope that they do the right thing. And that we never know. And that, that's most of the big breaches that we saw is because of third party. And that's also one of the frustration that I have as, a, as an individual, as a person, that you cannot really decide or control what happened with your data. Absolutely. And so you and I being cybersecurity professionals, we sort of in a way know how to vet these organizations for anyone else that's maybe not as cybersecurity savvy as we are. Any tips or advice that you can give to those people that don't know what to look for? Well, um, that fallback on the global topic that we were about to speak, this is about managing your attack surface. Actually, this is a topic we, we want to raise. Um, it means like as an individual, uh, first of all, sometimes we do not have the choice uh, to pick the organization. If you go to register your car, DMV, you have to fill your data there. Uh, so that's the official uh, way to do it. Now, in regard to organization, we also saw in the past that big names doesn't always mean safety as well. So we have to be uh, somehow our own risk manager of our own life and do a risk assessment on everything we do. And I know it's, it's tricky because technology is supposed to help us. But today, because everything is connected, <laughs> there is a risk in everything. So we should try 
to keep in our mind what we share and watch for it. So, um, and if, if we can as well as about limiting the amount of data we share and controlling that, because the only data that will not leak is the data that we not, we did not give away. <laughs> and you spoke about phone application as well. And this is part of the attack surface of people like, like people don't realize, but when they use their phone or tablet with all these applications, some are banking and rel relatively safe and go through a proper testing and security audit. But then if you use cheap games or free apps that didn't go for that security, you open your phone to a threat, to a takeover. And if the phone is corrupted, even if the banking app is secured, well, if there is a backdoor on it due to the free app, the communication with your banking stuff is going to be stolen as well. So that part of, of your attack surface. And that's a topic I raise from time to time. I say, you want to reduce your risk, reduce the amount of application you put on your phones. And now you say, okay, I want the convenience. I want everything on my smartphone. So you can take an approach because phones are kind of cheap and you can't even have second hand. So if you want to play games or have free stuff, you should have you know, a risk profile <laughs> on your phone with sensitive application only. And another, either another profile on the phone, if the phone support that, or another, another device like a tablet for things that are like non-sensitive or potentially dangerous. And by potentially dangerous, it's like everything that is not I mean, designed to be secured <laughs> at the development cycle. So these, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of certification, but we have to admit that the only way as a consumer to assume or to, to check if something has been developed with security in mind is somehow checking a certification and reputation, as you say. So uh, that's a way to do it. And um, when it comes to banking, you will assume that these apps are fairly tested. And also because the bank provides these, you are usually covered by the insurance if something happened on that side. That said, watching your account and your statement to discover that something is wrong is your responsibility. If you don't raise the flag, the bank is like, he's not gonna run after the issue. Sometimes they will because they have automated uh, crime you know, detection on, on the systems and uh, behavior analytics. But most of the time it's your duty because if you have like expense that follow your account and you didn't see them and you didn't do them, the bank might not detect it. So it's your duty. So this is why I say we have to be our own risk manager as an individual. Now you made a great point. It is awareness and it's it's simple things like implementing MFA or 2FA to guess that password into your banking account. And it is a chain reaction. I, I read an article once, I think it was, was Krebs. Uh, he has a, a, an article on his website that says the value of an email, uh, a breached email. So you think of an email as just being one account, but if someone gets access to that email account, they can run searches against your bank account. You know, if, if you've ever taken a scan of your driver's license and that's in your email, they can access that. So it's that's the jackpot. Yeah, yeah, it's a treasure because we we blindly trust the system, and and some emails are not even encrypted by default. You have many email provider online, depending where you store them, they have different policies, and this is usually defined in the term and condition that people don't really read. So that's a privacy issue as well as a security issue. Now. Um, you spoke about taking over email account, but what happened, you know, when people use the same password on personal email and a work computer, um, that's part of the, the attack surface and the shift that we saw lately, uh, we raised the topic at some point when we prepared that stuff about COVID and the change of working environment where people tend to work from home. 
And, and I shift on that because when people use the same password on a work and home computer, when your personal account is stolen, it's a risk as well for the organization. And that shift is something that is difficult to manage for organization because you cannot avoid people using the same passwords. So we have to teach them. And that's the awareness part of things that this is a bad practice. And despite the fact that we can enforce complex password and password change, we cannot avoid the password reuse on external systems. And people should be aware about these risks as well, because one account taken, one password, and obviously the attacker is going to try that password on many, many systems. And it's going to be sold as well on the dark web and, and used and abused. So that's that's one thing. And the second point, we're going to jump on that topic as well, is about ransomware. Because ransomware to be deployed in an organization, it has to find an entry point. And believe it or not, I mean, you know that it's totally linked with the topic of the password and email. Because once an email account is stolen with the password, it's not just about stealing the data. It's about, for the criminal organization, making more value out of it. And what's better than using that email and the trust relationship between that email account and all the connection of the person, will it be professional or personal, to spread a payload, let's say a ransomware, that will actually attack the systems. So it's all chained. And, uh, and one of the big challenges that we see today in defending the systems is because the attack surface is so complex involving what was before a perimeter, which is now spread around devices, private, corporate uh, machines, private phone, corporate uh, phones, and all of these connected on the same networks at home are actually a huge bridge and a huge opportunity for criminals, which actually don't care, to be honest, on which they actually target. Because we see in the news like Lady, you know about ransomware, like a lot of hospitals and public facilities being affected by ransomware. But to be honest, I don't believe that most of these were extremely targeted because from the criminal organization standpoint, it works as an affiliate network. There is the ransomware producer and there is distribution networks and everybody gets a percentage of the ransom when it gets paid. So it's really criminal organization. I mean, we speak about organized crime here. And any entry point for them is a money-making opportunity. So they don't care if it's an hospital or if it's anything specific, unless this is nation state actor that really has a target. Let's say they want to target industry, poor grid, and, and put a threat on a nation or something like that. But most of the time, about these ransomware, it just shoot wide and try to get the most as they can. It's a very low cost attack. It's about it's just the same as spam, but it's weaponized. And the final goal is not the spam is getting you to trigger that detonation in your network and get the whole organization encrypted. And that's big money. And the funny thing, well, it's not funny actually, is that that one somewhere is just one step in the attack path because we saw like since i think two years the main key of ransomware is no longer about encryption and ransom it's also about data exfiltration so basically it starts with the account takeover the weak password of the individual or a weak system like something is not patched and connected to internet this is you know i always repeat connected equal hacked the issue is that 
to be not hacked and connected, it's extremely challenging. It requires good practices, patching, watching. It, it's, I mean, it's really heavy task uh, to, to achieve safety. And, and organizations need dedicated teams for that or advanced tools, which are not always available in the market. So back to the topic of ransomware, there is an entry path, email, vulnerable firewall, vulnerable entry door, or human sometimes. It, it, it can be targeted as well. And when you reach that, the first thing that happens is data exfiltration. That means that the ransomware is spreading in what's called lateral move in the infrastructure, like spreading across systems, but it's in stealth mode. It will not be detected unless you have proper tool in place and a good security posture, but that's usually not the case. And when it's spread, it's taking the data out because in the new scheme of ransomware, it's about not only encrypting, but also blackmailing once the data is out that if you don't pay, not only you don't get access to your data, but we're going to leak it. It's going to be made public. So that affects the brand reputation. Now, the issue is like, even if you pay <laughs> the data life cycle of the stolen data, it's like gold. It's not going to disappear. You cannot trust criminals, you know. We see organizations that did pay and made, made an agreement with the attacker saying, oh, we're not going to release. You trust someone who broke into your network, stole the data, encrypted all your stuff, and then you will sign an agreement or agree to pay and believe that they are not going to take or make money with the remaining assets. That, that's, that's to me, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because they will. They will. There is no reason why they will not reuse the data, which is gold value. So you're going to pay. You're going to believe it's over. And usually it's about a year later. You're going to see that made public because the first year the data is going to be sold on the market as a paid uh, subscription mod. But then when it reached at the end of the life cycle and the, the, the data low, lose its value, it's going to be distributed for free, like cheaper price and then ultimately for free. This is where organization and people should watch for leaks with dark web monitoring solution. So you have, you know, typical site like Troy Hunt, um, Have I Been Pound? It's a good resource for, for individual. But organization should subscribe to professional services because most of the time, if you have an advanced service, you may discover the leaked data before it's made public, and it allows organization to take action to minimize the impact of the attack. So I hope this makes sense. Makes perfect sense. You can never trust the attacker. Is there ever a, an instance where you would advise an organization to pay the ransom? To be honest, we should really focus on anticipation and having um, I mean, incident response plan in place. So we avoid paying at all costs because the cost of, of, of paying is like crazy. And I know like healthcare, if you have dying people and the needed system to keep people alive need to be up, then for sure, all the frameworks, like if you train for CSSP or CompTIA or whatever, all the cybersecurity professional, the, all these frameworks put the human life protection as the main priority. So if you think about that, I mean, the only option is to pay because we need to protect people. <laughs> True. Now, when, but, but that's like the ultimate case, the ultimate situation where we didn't take care 
and we didn't get prepared good enough. And nowadays, because it has been like three years since ransomware is just raising and growing. So I don't think any organization can find an excuse today not to be ready. It's, it's, I, I don't think it's acceptable anymore. I don't know what's your point on that, but this is extremely annoying. I agree. I agree. Today, on average, organizations pay a ransom of $233,000. I know that could fluctuate industry to industry, um, but that's a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah, true. And then, I mean, it's all about, you know, when we offer, because I work in a MSSP, so we, we do offer and we, we do quote on a regular basis security solution. And I see the reaction when people see a quote. I mean, it depends on the size of the business, from SMB to bigger organization. But let's say SMBs, and you, you come with a quote, let's say like $70,000 for a package of protection of something that match actually their posture and it's going to breach the gap by adding the needed security controls to protect the environment. And then they're like, what? That's super expensive. But then, you know, you, you come with the price of, of, and the impact of a breach. And they just think it's not going to happen still today. <laughs> and, and that's something that, I mean, I don't want to drive the security posture enhancement through fear. But uh, because I try to drive that from a standpoint that we should do good because we have a responsibility of due care and due diligence in regards to third party data that we handle. Because as an organization, we handle the data of other people's lives, like employees in the HR system and customers and partners. And these people rely on you to protect the data. It's not only about the organization itself so as a society we follow rules and laws to allow everybody to live and behave properly so in the in the security and computing world i mean we should follow the same rules like we should have due care and that due care should make it mandatory from a i mean just common sense to get proper defense in place. We cannot blame an organization that did everything they could to secure their system because nothing is bulletproof. We know that. But longing fruit, that, that must be fixed. We saw yesterday in the news about, you know, that water facility in Florida yes. that got hacked uh, with the remote access control software. I mean, we are 2021 and in critical facilities, that have the potential to poison the life of thousands of people, we don't even have basic segregation of systems. I don't understand how and why we have a remote access staff without proper access control and segregation. It's not like if the solution do not exist, I mean, there are like zero trust access control and you know, it's a fancy world and people don't know how to do it, but just ask your security provider, can we do something with that? And most of the time, it's not that crazy expensive and solution exists. And, and the goal, again, it's not bulletproof. It's a security control that will highly reduce the impact of such event. And it's, it's the duty of the organization to do so. I, I think so. I mean, no, understood. It's, it's like how many of these high profile ransomware attacks will it take for the other organizations to understand and and maybe it's the mentality of well we haven't been hit yet we must have a good security program in place it definitely is a matter of when your business will be hit 
in 2021, ransomware is expected to hit one business every 11 seconds. And if you think about that, it's, it's going to happen. So hopefully these high profile cases that you see now and more people sharing news like this will be a wake up call. You know, that's, that's my hope anyway. Yeah, I hope. I mean, I know um, Chris Roberts, uh, you know him on LinkedIn. He's one of my contacts and yes. I, mm-hmm. he's, an, he's an inspiration to me. And he say all the time that we sadly need casualties to happen for people to react. And that's something sad, but he, he's, he's tr- I mean, it's true. Now, speaking about ransomware, I mean, what can we do to protect against these threats? Because we have a problem, we scoped the whole problem, we scoped the impact, and we scope overall the risk. When I have a quick metric uh, when you need uh, to explain the value proposition of enhancing your security posture, and that's a simple one. When your organization is hit by a ransomware, your people can no longer work for the time your system is down. And that, you take all the salaries of your employee each day of the amount, total amount of salary, and that's your main cost, your main loss, you know, aside of the brand effect, etc. So for an organization to assess if a solution, the AOI, is worth it, that's going to be quick and easy because, you know, one email, one click, and the whole organization is done for, then, you know, it depends on the recovery time objective and recovery point objective, <laughs> only if the organization has backups. And then, you know, all the, all the side effects. So the numbers, if you crunch them, it's quite quickly done. You do the math, it's, it's easy. It's, it's not worth not taking it. That's one point. So not taking what <laughs> as a solution. This is all uh, about, again, reducing the attack surface. And some best practices are having proper solution in place. One thing is backups. That's, that's something that's... I mean, all for decades. And that's still valuable nowadays with the ransomware. So organizations should have backups. They should have backup online, connected on-prem, live sync. They should have an off-site backup because if the premises where the main backup burn down, because fire can happen, you need a second location. But that second location is still connected to the network. And if you get a ransomware, it's going to try to target all your backup as the main target. So it's going to spread around and destroy it too. So you need the third backup, which is an offline backup. And like a monthly offline backup is more than enough to recover. That depends on the risk profile of the organization. But if most organizations add at least one month, one monthly archive, that would do it. So that's called hot backup, online connected, warm backup, that's the offsite, and cold backup is the disconnected one. So that's the strategy to get back access to your data when you get hit. Now, as I say, that's not a preventive measure. So preventive measure, which is also needed, but because nothing is bulletproof, the backup is still needed. I'm, I'm repeating a lot because that's something people need to have. Prevention. So you have many, many attack vectors. You need to hold your system to be patched and you need a strong patch management because if you have systems that are not patched, you just leave an open door to the attacker into your systems. And then the main attack vector that everybody knows is the email. <laughs> so most of the attack, it's a spam scam or payload delivery through email and people click and then get trapped or they get fished and they fill the credential, which then allow the attacker to get in. So having a strong advanced email secure solution is a good thing. 
And despite what people think, the cloud default security is not enough. <laughs> you need an additional layer, an additional provider that is specialized in email security. It is sad, but this is what it is. I mean, we saw every day leaks and breaches and we people didn't have the proper security control. So that's one thing. Second thing is what we call the last line of defense is the endpoint protection. And people think when we say this about antivirus, forget antivirus. Antivirus is long gone and it's not enough. You need endpoint detection and response. What do you know? They call that XDR now, extended detection and, re and response. And you need something that not only protects your endpoints, but also you need to be backed up by a SOC, Security Operations Center, because your team do not have the resource or the skills to do the thing by themselves. I speak mostly for SMBs. If you have a bigger organization that have a SOC and dedicated security analyst and all the stack for it, this is fine. But yet you need a CM and log analysis and everything. Now, if, you, if we speak about SMB, quick solution, advanced endpoint protection, which is connected with a SOC, which actually can raise and escalate the issues and take action with auto-remediation. So as when something happened, it's actually kind of quarantined into an area of the network or just the impacted machine, and it doesn't have time to spread. So it should have all the things like behavior analytics and stuff. I spoke about email filtering. Email filtering, it's more, I mean, it's just not only spam, but you need the solution that go deep into the security analysis, like checking attachment, running them in sandbox, doing what they call detonation. And, uh, you know, they run the binary, they see the behavior, they analyze it. And that's for each and every email that get in. And same thing for the email phishing stuff that come into your mailbox. Attacker use many techniques. Like some use just uh, links that link to Google search, which is, you know, that uh, I'm lucky and you click that button once and you redirect to a target. So not to be caught by basic filters, attacker use this Google redirection. So as when it get in, the email scanner sees a Google link and it says, oh, it's fine. It's Google. All safe. Certificate is okay. No issue. The issue is when the user click on that, it's a straight redirection to a target, which then chain to another redirection. So that's one direct link stuff. Sometimes it happened being an attachment in a file, a link in a PDF or something like that. And the security solution should dig deep into all of this, analyze it, use OCR, as machine uh, capability to read the text and detect potential threat. So that's one thing. And um, when I spoke about detonation, this is also analyzing um, on the endpoint detection, you should have UBA, um, user behavior analytics, which is detecting when something happened that is unusual. Like ransomware, when they do start to encrypt file, there is an intense writing of hundreds, if not thousands of files at once. So that behavior is not a user behavior. So, I mean, that's a one shortcut to explain how it goes, but, and that behavior should be stopped by the security solution and pop to the admin or the SOC to investigate what's happening there because it's unexpected. So well, that's one of the, of the things. Uh, yeah. What else to think about? Oh, and the next stuff, because we speak, we speak about uh, insecurity, people, processes, and technology. So that was the technology part. Then we have the people part, <laughs> awareness training. We spoke about that, you and I, we share on LinkedIn. 
and we explain to people, here are the threats. This is what happened. You don't want that to happen to you. Here's what you can do. And we need to raise awareness. In an organization, you should have an employee awareness training program to keep up to date. The human nature is to forget things. I mean, I take a course of stuff and I forget them like two months after I don't remember but if I, if I don't use them. So we need a employee training program because then employees need to be aware of other attack factors. There's, there's not only technology in the risk landscape, there's also phone, uh, you know, it's called vishing, phone call, people trying to take over. And that's more in case of uh, more targeted attacks, which is also a reality. If we think about critical system and a system like the water uh, system in Florida, one of the attack paths is clearly playing with the phone using a fake ID number that looks like a support phone call and manipulate the individual. So um, that's a social engineering part and employees should be trained against that. We are, as human, raised by our parents to be polite and behave in a certain way. Sadly, Attackers know that and they will abuse that. They will abuse nice people who want to help others and they will use that as a lever. So we need to teach people to detect when something is not okay. So there is a learn to be nice, but also learn not to be too nice and detect something wrong. So that's one of the, of the thing. And last thing is about processes. So workflows, documentation. Any organization should have plan. And these plans should be written down. When you have a ransomware attack and all the system go down, you no longer have phone numbers, contact list, email. This is all gone. So who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's going to be, it's, you know, everybody, every time someone say that, I think Ghostbusters, I'm like, my mind is poisoned with that. But anyway, they must have contact list. Printed out or in a phone, an alternative way of communication. We saw many organizations that took, you know, their Twitter account to keep customers and partners up to date. Because how are you going to tell your employees, especially spread from home, not to connect to the infrastructure today because there is a, a threat that is actually spreading. So please don't open your stuff, and you cannot use the email because the threat is in the email box, as an example. So you need a other way. Since we call that like, you know, out of band communication, let's use one. We need an alternative way of communication. So, and most of organizations don't have it. It, it raises some concerns as well as privacy. Not all employees in organization have corporate phone numbers. So organization may need to collect private phone numbers. Now, when it comes to using that as an emergency situation, well, you need the consent of employee, depending on the country you're located in or the state. Privacy laws may have to be analyzed. And the legal side of things when you do an incident response plan must be involved as well. Liability, control, user acceptance, compliance must be reviewed as well when you do that. So that's one thing. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's mainly it. I had another idea, but it just spit out of my mind. <laughs> No worries. Um, I'm curious to, to know how you would prioritize that list. So just say hypothetically, you have an organization, they have little to zero protection in place and they come to you and ask you, what do I need to protect my organization from ransomware? You have policy, you have user education and you have technology. Well, uh, again, it's, it's depending on the situation. Sometime, I mean, 
you normally always start with an assessment, like a risk assessment or security posture assessment. And mm. the first step is to know what to protect. What do you have? Do you know what do you have and what is key to your business? So that's the first thing. And it doesn't take long to go, you know, what do you really need? What's your, what's your core stuff? Once you know that, you can prioritize. And it depends again of the situation. If it's obvious and there is a huge gap, there are some tools that you can deploy right now because there is no time to waste on the posture. And even if you go and write the procedure as the ultimate goal to make it right, some organizations just need the tool to be deployed right now. Because, <laughs> I mean, imagine the situation, and that is a liability or responsibility. You, you know, I speak about due care. I come to this organization and I see that it's a mess. Everything is updated, like no security at all. They are hyper-connected, everyone working from home, and it's a ticking bomb. I have two options. I need to gather all the people and try to get the information about the organization, which obviously do not have any documentation now. So gathering the information is going to take a while. And I have the option right now to deploy an XDR solution just at least to cover the baseline, which in any case I would end up doing because even if I get the documentation and everything and, and I want a response plan and, and a cyber security posture plan, one of the common denominators that you're going to have is in any case, email advanced protection and point detection and response. So in my case, I would recommend right away to deploy these tools if you don't have it or if you don't have something efficient in place or if it's not unified or you know whatever the situation. Because you take the, the deal, you take the contract and you say, okay, we're going to write the process. And you take what, like two weeks, let's say. And during these two weeks, they get hit and encrypted. So everybody's going to feel bad because they came to you as a security professional and that thing happened after they reached out. So somehow, did you have the duty to do something seeing the obvious? So that's something you see, that's, that's a tricky one. So it may happen more, uh, more often than not that if something is obvious, I will recommend the technology part first, just, you know, to breach the basic caps, uh, as we call low-hanging fruit, to make sure that at least this baseline is covered. And then it's buying a little time to think of, because like last week, I was in an incident response, and uh, an organization got hit by a ransomware. It was a mess, um, because they didn't have the resource, budget was not authorized, and they had to deal with the stuff. It's sometimes, you know, no IT people or... An IT director or some really want to leave stuff in a mess state and keep outdated system. They don't want that. But right. is the board allowing budget, especially with the pandemic crisis, you know, everything shifts. So the planning of replacing that old server that still runs, now maybe we're not going to do it now because the cash flow is down and stuff like that. And sadly, they end up in a situation where the threat doesn't stop. So it, it may reach and hit. And this is what happened in that experience I had last week. So they had a partial deployment of XDR. And if they will not have this stuff, they will not have seen it coming because the XDR, which this one was connected with a SOC, raised an alarm. And we came and say, oh, there is something wrong in your place. And thankfully, 
Daddy Dalo to catch early. We had an emergency crisis support stuff with that. And we could manage to get over it. But you see, so if we would have come in that kind of organization with just uh, trying to go with a compliance plan or trying to go ISO 27.1 and waiting for the action plan step would have been too late. So I think we need, we need to cover the baseline and then process everything. But again, it's a risk assessment. I mean, if they, if they have nothing or everything is online and there is no infrastructure, I don't know, like the endpoint has absolutely no value and there is nothing on it and no data, then maybe there is no point protecting it. So it's a case by case scenario. So ransomware does lead to data exfiltration. So I just want to talk about data exfil for just a second. What approach should organizations take to stop data exfil across the board or at least slow it down to a point where they can uh, perform proper inspection and, and gain visibility into those actions? So um, sadly, the, the, the requirement to achieve this is kind of advanced in the process of raising the security posture. We speak about data governance and we speak about audit capacities. So, and there is also something tied to the basic of cybersecurity, which is the principle of need to know and list privileges. So the, the last one, the latest list privileges is something that every organization can achieve. Basically, no one should be admin on the machine and no one should have right that they don't knew, do need to access to do their job. So that's the basic, doesn't require much. The need to know as something that is a bit more tricky because it's tied to governance. The need to know principle means that each employee should only access to the data they absolutely need to achieve their work. And that usually is a bit complex to reach in SMBs because either the infrastructure is not ready or the governance is not there. And it's about establishing process, procedure, and inventory. I spoke about inventory, know your assets. And to achieve proper data governance, you need data classification, which means proper identity and access control. And that means that all your data is identified and classified. <laughs> and, and, you know, like private, public, sensitive. And, um, and if you don't have this baseline, you cannot implement the security controls to achieve the detection of breach and leaks. Now, some solution help, like you have some default rule, if you use some cloud storage solution, like I think about, uh, you know, Altitude Networks, they have a nice solution that actually will alert you if you have wrong permission or your share, or if something that is not supposed to access the path uh, is going to be uh, triggering an alert and they have auto um, detection of document type from the content. It's like, you know, um, this document management system, it's kind of tied to governance and basically the analysis of the content of your files will trigger uh, an automatic classification. It's not accurate. It's not 100% accurate, but it's better than nothing if you have to start and you don't have the resource to do that. I've been once working on a SharePoint uh, governance implementation, and that was such a nightmare because we had to take out a list of everything hosted on that instance and go manually to classify and rate each document with the legal department. And there was no other option <laughs> because it was a mess. So that's a long, long work. And once you do that, then you can put security controls and alert and triggers. If someone that's not supposed to access something 
is actually trying to do that. This is a about uh, you know elevated uh, privilege access requirement and uh, an advanced uh, identity and access management. Definitely great, great advice. And I'm curious to get your take on the future of data exfil. So, well, it depends from which standpoint. If we speak about inside a strat, that's going to be difficult. Well, you're going to have the logging and the audit capacity of the system that will allow you to detect when an employee took something, but it's after fact. And then you see starting from DLP solution that come with some kind of watermarking of documents. Though, if they leave the organization and they are found on other place, they can actually be traced back to identify the path they took to get out of the organization. That's going to be challenging. I, the main concern, I mean, it's, it's a very complex topic because there is the insider threat, uh, there is the governance side of things, but there's also the technology side of things. And you know, um, I, I complain a lot about the cloud and one of the issue I have with that is that how do we protect from an insider threat from a cloud provider? So we can have best practices, but what I believe the future is, is encryption, before any storage. So that's going to be something. And proper encryption is going to come with each employee own keys uh, to encrypt system with a, a proper uh, PKI infrastructure. And so as the information cannot be read without the proper decryption key. And that will put a stop on all these breaches. But I understand that there is a huge overhead and that we are not going to see this kind of system in place uh, unless maybe for classified information. But for like private information and private corporation, it's going to take a while and we have to, we will have to rely on a DLP, it's a data leak prevention system to have proper detection and user behavior analytics enhancement. Uh, to reach that point. But um, again, threat actors are going to grow their arsenal and their tools and capacities accordingly, especially that they do not have any anything slowing down their R&D, if I can say so. Like each day, each time a ransom is paid, we are financing the crime R&D and we are making them stronger and faster. So. Yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. I, I hope technology and innovation is going to come before we need the big casualties. And yeah, I, I have hope on that. We have solutions coming on the market that I see that are quite interesting. Now, yeah, if you see something, say something. <laughs> Rely on coworkers and uh, on uh, like splitting the, the controls. That's also one of the cybersecurity best practices. If you have a, a process in place, like you should not have a single individual that have the ability to do a major impactful action by himself. So that means that if you need the insider threat to succeed, you need to corrupt at least two individuals. And that's more challenging. So that's and that that basic principle of splitting control is not something new. So this is just about putting that in place. But again, SMBs, they don't yet have the tools to do so, but we're going to that. Great point. One thing that we both try to do is is teach also the the younger generation and the aspiring professionals real world experience. You know what have you gained personally that you feel would be the most beneficial to start someone out down the right path? On my side, I did learn hands on because I was in IT at first, and I think this is very good to know because you need to understand the underlying work of a system 
to be able to protect it. That's my take on that. So when they ask me, I say, first of all, you need a little lab and you, you should host your own stuff to understand how it works, not relying on a cloud dashboard at first, but understand how the system works. Set up your environment. Then a lot of reading and learning. I'm not a big fan of certification, but this is just me. You know what? Uh, having an exam is stressing me the hell out of me, as fun as it sounds. <laughs> and I don't, I don't enjoy these at all. But I do like the knowledge, so I do a lot of trainings. I did, I did the CSSP training, I did the Compia Plus training, and that's actually building and bridging a knowledge gap that we have when we want to, to come in the field. It's two things. The technical knowledge gap that we must uh, train ourselves by having labs and doing our stuff on our own. It's most of the time free, by the way, so that that's available and affordable. And uh, you can, you know, uh, play with a lot of books and resources on that field. And the second thing is um, sharing and using the social network, which is why I do it as well on LinkedIn. Because when I share, I learn a lot. I, I do other thing, you know, I do conference and presentation from time to time. And I, I, I mean, when I have to prepare a topic I'm going to cover during a presentation, I realize that I do learn a lot because there is the thing that we know, but when comes the time to explain one, why and how, it requires a little bit of homework, which is really beneficial to our global knowledge and understanding. So once you learn something, try to write something about it or present it or share it. Because two things, you're going to have to see that you have to dig a little bit deeper and also, it's going to just set that in your mind and put a clear picture of what you just learned. And that's going to be very useful in the long run. So that's one, one thing. And the second point is there are a lot of free resources available online in regard to cybersecurity. So uh, you should access to it. It's about you know time, allowing the time to do it, but it, it's doable. And when they do that, they actually learn the vocabulary that we use, I mean, you know, all kind of RTO, RPO, MTD, SOAR, <laughs> MTTR. Uh, because if you want to be a good advisor, you must be able to translate the business need and business operation into security and vice versa. You need to be able to explain the risk and the impact and the posture to people that have no clue about technology. So that's, a, and that's actually a huge bridge to gap. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I know we're running out of time here. So I, I just want to shift for a moment. What do you see as the most common attack vector in a bar scenario? That's a paradise for social engineering. That's one thing. Um, that's a paradise to steal information. But I mean, not only bar, but the thing is that a bar environment, when it was hallowed, um, is more like a trust place where everybody chill and relax. But you don't know who's a threat in that environment. So when you leave your credit card on the table, that's something that can be caught. When you leave your phone unprotected, that's something that can be caught as well. And, 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 you know, when you're a group, of person, you don't always watch everything you have. So that's one thing. Then you can be socially engineered. Um, that's another vector of attack. It depends if it's a targeted attack or if it's just an opportunity. A lot of crime and, and abuse happen from opportunities. I mean, imagine if your phone is stolen, is it properly locked and encrypted? That's something that like now most of the phone are encrypted by default, but you have a, a smart, complex security code on it. 
Do you use the face stuff or whatever? That that's that's something to to think about. So, what did you go to drink after a long day of cybering? <laughs> I I do not drink alcohol, so on oh, you side, don't? Okay. Be, no, no, no. Uh, it's just I, I just don't like it. I don't like the taste. Uh, nothing else than that. So uh, I drink like Coke Zero. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> no, very good. So even though you don't drink. Could you describe to me what the the bar scene is like in Montreal? I might not be any. I mean, I'm more into food, honestly. Okay. <laughs> so I say if you go to Montreal, you have to try the keg. It's a steakhouse. Okay. Um, so some some nice place around. Um, and they have also well, if you are not from Quebec, you get to try the poutine. Although uh, it's not for the taste of it, but just for the experience, I would say. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's fr- French yeah. fry with sauce and cheese melted on it. <sighs> oh, it's 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 not like good, but it's a you know comfort food. Like you had a rough day, and you take a good poutine with smoked sauce and melting cheese on it. It's it's, it's it helps. <laughs> I just I took a note. I'm I'm I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have one more question for you and, uh, I know you don't drink, so you can think of this yeah. in terms of a coffee shop, let's say. Yeah. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar or coffee shop, what would the name yeah. be? And what would your signature drink be called? Yes. What, what that's, that's a tricky one. Uh, no wifi place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or bring your own Wi-Fi, but then, then you know you may be hacked anyway. So, yeah, um, don't don't connect. I don't know, uh, human connection only, or something like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Human yeah. connection only. Yeah, and no engineering allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the name of the drink? Maybe. Yeah. 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 I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Alexander, thank you for your time, for coming on the show. I really appreciate all the knowledge that you're able to, to share with us. Where can our listeners find you online? What is your, your social media footprint? So that's mainly LinkedIn. I am not of Facebook, obviously. Um, so LinkedIn, Alexandre Blanc, cybersecurity. Uh, look for the top voice 2020 and I'm in the list. Uh, yeah, I'm noisy enough, so you should find me. Alexandre Blanc, the, the, you know, Alexandre. Uh, D-R-E in the end because it's written the French way and cybersecurity. I I did put that in my name so you can actually catch me easily. (laughs) Perfect. Hey, thanks again so much. It was a great conversation. Take care and be safe. Thank you. You too. Barcode patrons, if you enjoyed this episode and want an easy way to support the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you're not on a Mac or iPhone, just visit the barcodepodcast.com slash reviews. I appreciate all the support. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.